Alright, the first thing I was asked to do this morning was to point out that just because you join the church on Sunday does not mean that you're required to preach the very next Sunday. Um, the pastor asked me to clarify that to scare any new members away from wanting to potentially join the church. Um, as Bill Hall said, our family has been in this church for a while. My grandmother first attended this church in 1950 with my grandfather. My grandmother, or not my grandmother, I apologize, my mother, who is a grandmother. It's her birthday today, too, so happy birthday, Mom. Uh, she attended preschool across the street. Uh, David's parent, David's father, E.B. Shivers, uh, officiated my parents' wedding here in 1973, 74. 20 years later, Bill Hall officiated my sister's wedding here at this church. Uh, the last time I was on this stage, I think it was 1984 in K. Hall's Christmas play. Um, I think I was shepherd number four, and I don't think I was a very good shepherd because it took me 30-something years to invite me back to stand on the stage. So I just say that because it's an honor to be here this morning. It's a privilege for me to speak um, in front of this church. We didn't just join again because this church is family to us. This church has always been home, and God has called us back home. So it's just a blessing to be here this morning to be able to speak to you guys and share what Jesus put on my heart this week. Um, before we begin, let's bow our heads and let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for grace and mercy that allows us an opportunity to worship and praise you in the church. Lord, we pray over each and every person that's come through this church today. Lord, we pray that you open their hearts and you open their minds to receive the love and the grace that you're going to share with us today. Lord, I want to pray for my time up here. I pray, Lord, that my time honors you. I pray that it glorifies you. I pray that everything I say, Lord, brings you justice and mercy. Lord, I pray over this morning, and to your great and almighty name that I pray. Amen. So, advice. Sometimes we like to give advice. A lot of the times we don't like receiving advice. When I was preparing for this morning's message, I went to our pastor when he asked me to preach. And I said, David, I said, do you have any advice on this morning? You know, do you have some words of wisdom? And he's like, well, Charlie, he's like, when I preach on Sunday morning, the best advice I can give you is to probably prepare something from the Bible. So that was a pretty good, uh, pretty good start to the week was I, I turned to the Bible for my message. And that's, that's a good place to usually begin if you're ever called to stand up here and preach messages. They usually use something from the Bible. Um, my sister gave me some good advice. She said, I know it's a Southern Baptist church, but whatever you do, she's like, please do not sing. So there will be no uh, come to Jesus. It is well. My soul will also recall the end for me this morning, which a lot of you will be thankful for if you ever hear me in a choir. Um, another piece of advice I got last week, um, I don't have a student this morning, but Miss Wimber, I think she's, she gave some great advice this week, and I hope I don't encourage you by saying this, but she came up and she said, Charlie, she's like, I'm praying for you, just make sure that you're good. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, that's the advice that, uh, that I've gotten to prepare for this morning. Um, I saw a headline in the news that kind of made me think of this week, leading this week, Last week, Bill asked me, he said, do you know what you're preaching on? I said, no. I said, like, God hasn't really spoken to me yet. And this week, I saw a headline that bothered me, and it really, it really got to me. And the headline started off, and you guys have seen it. It's not just this week, we see it all the time. But the headline reads, Christian hate group. Christian business owner refuses to serve business because of. And I thought to myself, I was like, man, that's, that's not right. The definition of Christian, I believe we have it put up on the board for us. A person who is a believer in Jesus Christ and his teachings. And so I turned to the Bible to see where in the Bible Jesus called us to hate the people that weren't the same as us. 
I turn to the Bible where it says that we're not supposed to care for or serve people who think differently than us. And I found a verse that stuck out the most. And I'm going to go with three things that, I, that God spoke to me this week. And the first one is to love. John 3.16, it starts off, it says, For God so loved the world. Now, it would be a lot easier on us if it said, For God so loved the world, but just those people that look like us. It would be a lot easier for us if it said, For God so loved the world, but just don't worry about people outside your neighborhood. It would be a lot easier for us if God said, For love, try so love the world, but just don't worry about the people who think differently than you. But it says, For God so loved the world. The world is regardless of race, religion, backgrounds, ideas. God calls us to love. The advice of Jesus says a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so must you love. Here's another one that also read to me one time I came across. It says, but to those, it's in Luke 6.27. It says, but to those who listen, I say... Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. One of the hardest things that we're called to do is to love somebody that's done something wrong to us. One of the hardest things for us to do is to forgive somebody when they're not sorry for what they did. But I read a pastor one time out west who had the best quote that I ever read in my entire life. And it brings this whole home. There's just one point. This point one, it brings right home. And it says to remember... The God of your enemy is still your God. So as Jesus calls us to love, as God calls us to love, we have to look at exactly how God and Jesus called us to love by how they loved us. Back to John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave us. But what did he give us? God didn't give us what we deserved. He gave us what we needed. If God, last time God gave the world something they deserved, a man named Noah had to build a pretty big boat and ride out a 40-day storm because that's what the world deserved. But this time God said, no, I'm going to give you something that you need. And he gave us his son. And what did Jesus come to do? What did he come here to do? When we look at the gospel of Mark, and in Matthew, it says the exact same thing. Two people that knew Jesus more than anybody. In Matthew 20, 28, it says, For even the Son of Man came to not be served, but to serve. When you look at Mark 10, 45, it says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus, the Son of God, laid down majesty to serve humanity. When you look through the gospel, the entire life of Jesus, people who met, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's filled with numerous accounts of Jesus serving others. The Son of Man could have come to easily sit on this throne and have us bow down to him. But he came to kneel down before the very throne that he calls us to serve. One of my favorite examples of Jesus serving humanity came in John chapter 13. And I'm going to skip down. We've heard the story before. I'm going to skip down to the end of it. It's in verse 12. And it's when Jesus, right before he's in the Last Supper, he's right before his ultimate act of servitude, he's with his disciples, and he leans out and he says, when he finished washing their feet, he put his clothes and returned to his place. 
And he says, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash the feet of one another. I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you that no servant is greater than his master, nor any master greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. This last presidential election that we had, and I'm not going to go into which side of candidate or whatnot, was filled with a lot of chaos. But there was one candidate that was at a town hall meeting, and it stuck out the most to me. He was in a room, and he was answering questions, and a man stands up and says, I've got a question for you. He's like, I'm a very devout atheist. He goes, I don't believe a lot of what you're preaching, but you preach a lot of God to us. He goes, as an atheist, as somebody who doesn't believe in your God, he goes, how can I be sure that you're not going to leave the country with that same faith? And the response from the candidate completely blew my mind. He says, my faith teaches me an obligation to care for the less fortunate. My faith teaches me that I have an obligation to love my neighbor. My faith teaches me that I have to feed those who are hungry. For those who are naked, to help clothe them. My faith teaches me that I need to minister to those in prison. My faith teaches me that if I want to serve Jesus, I have to serve others first. He goes, you shouldn't worry about my faith influencing me. As a matter of fact, you should hope that my faith influences me. <laughs> the man kind of smiled and looked at him. He said, well, you got my vote. <laughs> and he took a seat. Jesus was the son of God who deserved to come and sit on a throne, but he led by example. In the greatest act of servitude, Jesus ultimately gave his life for us. God could have done this a million different ways, but he sent his son as a servant to die on a cross, elevating him to Savior. And in the midst of all that, they call us to do one thing. There's a piece of advice that God gives us. He says, if you're going to love like I do, and if you're going to serve like I do, then I need you to do one thing. Matthew 28, 19. He says, therefore, go. And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God called us to love. He calls us to serve. And then he tells us to go share the world and build. He wants us to build the church. Not only this church right here, but the big church, the big C. We're the little C. The big C is the whole world. He calls us to not learn what we've done here today and just keep it to ourselves. He wants us to tell everybody. Jesus went to ordinary men that the church would today, most churches today would say aren't qualified to lead the way, and God used them to change the world. He took ordinary men and said, drop your nets, follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. One of the greatest examples of how God came to life, there was a man named Saul. This man loved the church. He absolutely loved the church, but he didn't believe this nonsense of Jesus. So he debated his life to prosecuting Killing and hunting down Christians. He hated everything Jesus stood for. On the road to Damascus, he was walking. He met face to face with Jesus Christ, was struck down by love and mercy on the road. And when his eyes were open, God used him as one of the greatest tools in the Bible to build the church. We all know Paul. He wrote half the New Testament. Half we can't read today is from Paul's writings. In the midst of all Paul's life, a man who went from persecuting to love built the church. 
because he learned that Jesus loved him enough to die for it. Half the New Testament was risen from chains and shackles in a prison, but Paul never once doubted who Jesus was and what Jesus came to do. One of the biggest lies that you're going to hear as believers, one of the biggest lies the devil's going to put into your heart is that you are not qualified to do this. You're not good enough to do this. Your past is going to prevent you from going out and sharing the gospel to the world. But I promise you that it's not an education. It's not a fancy diploma on the wall that allows me to stand up here today and tell you this. It is the love and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. The moment in your life that you believe that for God so loved the world that he sent his son. The moment that you believe that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. The moment you believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross for your sins. And the moment you believe that he went to battle against death and won. And the moment you believe that he rose on Easter Sunday so that we can have eternal life through him. It's at that very moment that God has qualified you for the job of preaching the gospel. There's a quote that I read from a man named A.W. Tozer. A lot of the stuff that he, he writes um, sometimes is above my head after we read it, but he said this one time. It was in a message. It said, There are rare Christians whose very presence incites other Christians to be better Christians. I want to be that rare Christian. I'm going to read that one more time for you just to let it sing for a little bit. There are Christians whose very presence incites or inspires or drives other Christians to be better Christians. And he says, I want to be that rare Christian. If we're going to walk in here on Sunday morning and proclaim to the world that we live in the love of Jesus, then we need to walk out of the church on Monday morning and live the love of Jesus. It is time that we stop letting the world define us as Christian hate groups. Words are not going to define who we are. It's actions are going to define who we are. We need to stop asking ourselves what it is that Jesus would do and start realizing it is that what Jesus did do. Jesus, the Son of Man, came to this earth. He loved us so much that as a servant, he gave his life for us. And he asks us to walk out of here today and tell the world that all he's done. He asks us to build the church. He asks us to stop being Christian by noun, but Christian by verb. By verb. It's not words that define who we are, it's our actions. I had someone once say to me one time, if somebody only knew Jesus by the way you treated them, what would their impression of him be? There was a man in history named Gandhi. I'm going to read a quote that he said one time and just kind of close with that. He said, I like your Christ. Your Christians, not so much. Your Christians are nothing like your Christ. 
And that right there should be a gut check to every single one of us. That if God loved the world so much to send his son for us, and if we truly believe that God sent his son for us, and we truly believe that God, that Jesus died on the cross for us, that God wants us to love our community, love our world. He wants us to serve our community and serve our world. And he wants us to build this church and he wants us to build the church throughout the world. Will you guys join me in prayer? God, we love you. And we thank you that you loved us enough to send us what we needed and not what we deserve. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son. And we thank you, Lord, that the ultimate act of humility, he died for us. Lord, I pray for each one of us. I pray for me that as I walk out of here, I don't forget what happened. I don't forget the gospel of Jesus. I pray that I don't forget how much you loved us. And I pray, Lord, that other people can come to know your love by the way that I treat them. I pray, Lord, that other people can come to know your love by the way this church treats them. Lord, we love you so much. And it's in your great and almighty name that we pray. Amen. I want to thank you guys for allowing me to come here today. Um, like I said, we just joined the church last week, so it's good to be home. Um, thank you for everyone that's welcomed us, made us feel like home. And if you're visiting with us for the first time, we just want you to know that this could be your home too and that we welcome you here. So we want to thank you guys and just have a good Sunday. Enjoy your week.